Hello, welcome to the podcast. Our special guest this week is Giles Brandreth, who of course knew the Duke of Edinburgh very well indeed. But we recorded our interview a week before the announcement of Prince Philip's death. All the same, Giles had some fascinating insights into Prince Philip's character and life. So we hope you'll enjoy it. Hello and welcome to the That's Afterlife podcast with dear Mr. Anson and Adrian Mills. So here we are again. Very pleased you could join us. How are you, Adrian? I'm exceedingly good, Esther. I'm in a good mood. The weather's getting better and better and I'm feeling very positive, which is very unusual for me. I've come to the conclusion. Yes, I can vouch for that. <laughs> Thank you. Pleasure. I've been I've been thinking about my birthday. Oh, yes. Go on. Well, you know, I'm a bit of a party girl. Yes. I've been to some great parties at your house. What do you remember about such parties? Obviously the company, because uh, everybody from That's Life uh, from years gone by seems to be there. Um, the food um, and, and just the atmosphere. And I remember one particular one where Desmond organised um, a, a fly past with uh, guys jumping out of an aeroplane with chocolates and roses. It was very funny because the plane had a banner on it saying um, something like, all because Desi loves Esther or something. But unfortunately, he got a bit misdirected. So he he circled the wrong house for a long time. (laughs) Funny thing about that was all the other wives there were absolutely furious and were growling at their husbands. Why don't you do this sort of thing for my birthday? The one I remember is when... A very celebrated lady was there with her gentleman friend and they were bonking behind the portaloo. They, they were bonking behind the portaloo. Well, one, what an unusual place to be bonking. And two, go on, name names. Well, I can't name names, but I can tell you it was so funny, the shell shock nature. You know, people were coming back, have you seen what? And anyway, by the time the party was over, everybody had indeed seen And didn't Frankie Howard once chase you around my lawn? Oh, don't, don't. I was standing in the queue for some food and he tapped me on the shoulder and I turned around and I thought, oh my goodness, it's Frankie Howard. And he went, oh, hello, what's your name? I said, it's Adrian. Excuse the impersonation. And he went, oh, we said, oh, what do you do? I said, I'm a journalist. And he went, oh, I do love a journalist. And I went, oh, oh, really, Frankie? I thought, "Uh uh-oh. And then he spent the next hour wandering around, chasing me around your swimming pool and finding me everywhere I was. Bless him. He was adorable. Those were the days when I was a fat cat and, you know, I used to give these parties. I'll never forget the sight of Frankie Howard and Billy Connolly talking together on my lawn. Oh, wow. That's a great image. It was a great image. Poor old Frankie was wearing the most appalling reddish wig. (laughs) How's the restaurant going? Well, we had a phenomenally good moment on Saturday. Uh, We've been doing takeaway probably eight months out of the year where we've been closed down, if you see what I mean. There's been months where we've been open and then months where we haven't been open. But over the year, eight months of takeaway. And on Saturday, we served our 6,000th takeaway. Bloody hell. And to celebrate it, we gave it to him free, just as a sort of, you know, thank you for being a loyal customer because a lot of people are coming and not using the delivery services. But uh, it just goes to show how supportive a lot of people have been in what's been the most bizarre year of probably of our lives. I know. And and we really have appreciated I had a long chat to the dustman the other day who told me they had been servicing my house longer than I've lived here. And we talked about all the past inhabitants and whether they really recycle the boxes and bits of cardboard and things. And he swore to me that they did. He was lovely. 
And usually they're just, you know, we, we, we don't treat them as people. They just come and go as a sort of service. So I think we have learned something in in this lockdown oh I, I, we definitely have funny if you were just talking about your parties i i always remember one of the the, the best moments was standing when you used to live in hampstead and i found myself up there on my own with lindsay de paul ah uh. and she was fantastic absolutely adorable and we just watched the uh, the, the stars in the sky and the night lights uh, over london uh, another magical moment lindsay was a real friend of mine and I'll tell you this, the problem with getting older, Adrian Mills, is that you lose your friends. Mm. And she's one of my two close friends that I've lost. And I miss them all the time. But Lindsay was such a fantastic polymath, I think you say, because she was great at art, of course, great at songwriting, wonderful pianist, singer. Our guest today is also a polymath. Oh, Giles Brandreth. Well, what can't he do? I mean, he just, he pops up doing everything. Quizzes, party games, goggle box, one show. I've got about five books of his on my shelves. Extraordinary man. He's, he's got one of those minds like Quicksilver. Oh, I tell you what I've done. Like Quicksilver, I was going to say, but it, it, I suddenly remembered. I did just a minute with him. Ah, from what I know of him, I've never met him, but he's, he's one of those people that as soon as you put the radio on and say it's just a minute, as soon as you hear his voice, you know exactly who you're listening to. So distinctive and so intelligent. He's very posh, isn't he? I wonder whether he'll put up with your Scouse accent. Uh, well, we'll have to see, won't we, Esther? <laughs> Not what I mean. I was in Brookside, you know. You've never asked me about that. I played a footballer called Cunningham. I thought I was going to get a long-running series. I got one episode. That was it. I can understand that. Right, so you're going to ask him about what object he's taking to the afterlife? I'll be fascinated to know what he's going to take. To, I presume he's going to take... I, I, I'll put money on. He's going to take a book with him. I don't know why. I just think, you know, learned gentleman, he'll take a book. How much money will you put on that? <laughs> the price of a cup of milky tea for you, Esther. Thanks very much. Yes, OK. We'll see what happens. All right. Um, we've had some interesting emails this week, um, do, and we do love to hear from you, whatever subject you care to share. Uh, we're really keen to put some clips on our website, by the way, of uh, talented pets and uh, people. So send them to us on our email, which is hello at thatsafterlife.com. That's hello at thatsafterlife.com. And I'm slightly offended by this email, Esther, and I'm sure you'll understand why. Sarah from North London asks... I did love that story, Adrian, of you tackling a dog napper. But was it really true? Well, it was It was actually quite incredible, wasn't it? Because you spotted this kid chatting up a lady who had a dog on a lead and you suspected all was not well. And then, sure enough, you gave her a shove, grabbed the dog lead, started to run, and you ran after him and grabbed him by the hood of his hoodie. If you look at your newspapers, if you listen to the radio, if you watch the TV, dog napping is now front page news. It is happening all the time. And even about 20 minutes before we went on air, I've just got a message on my WhatsApp that says, Dear residents, please be vigilant while walking your dogs. We've had an attempt at a dog theft on a particular avenue near where we live here in Wimbledon, where the victim has been left terribly shaken. Um, it's happening everywhere. Um, I know for a fact that there's been a number of police raids where I think uh, down in South London, they found 55 stolen dogs. 
But there is a reason that I paid particular attention to this one individual, because in my early life, my first ever job was as a store detective. How long did that last? Um, just under a year. But it finished when I saw a guy pick up a Tonka toy, if you remember. There's a big dumper truck, very, and he was suited and booted, looked very smart, put it under his arm, and I thought, he's not going to pay for that. And he walked straight out of the store, and I walked after him. I said, excuse me, sir, and I put my hand on his shoulder. And before I could say another word, he turned around, hit me so hard, broke my glasses, gave me a bloody nose, and I thought, is this really worth, and bear in mind this is 1972, is it really worth £1.65 a day? Answer, no. You remind me of a lot of items we did on that slide because we, we really were keen on dogs, weren't we? We had Obviously, we had the talking dog, which our listener can find anytime you want to on YouTube, say sausages. We had a number of talking dogs. Esther. But I'll tell you the thing that interests me. Um, we did a, a, a series of campaigns about pedigree do dogs mm. and how cruel the kennel club's inbreeding of dogs is, you know, because in order to get these deformities in dogs, you know, the heavy creases in their faces or the elongated body of a dachshund, these aren't healthy dogs. These are dogs with disabilities built into them, bred into them by the kennel club. Yeah, but is the problem the kennel club or the people that are buying them? The Kennel Club is the equivalent of the House of Lords for dogs, and they're in charge of all the peerages or the pedigrees, and they're the ones that say, to be beautiful, this kind of dog has got to have this sort of head and this sort of tail. Mm. And then that's when the value goes up, and that's when people... I think what we're doing to dogs, well, I'm sorry to bang on like this. I know it's ridiculous, but I was reading just the other day in The Times a story about poor little dogs who've got such heavy wrinkles bred into their faces that they mm. go blind. Yes. I, I, I hate it. Mind you, I did have a friend who was constantly asking me to donate money for blind dogs for the guides. <laughs> Giles, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, 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 we can. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm amazed you've got a moment because you seem to be everywhere. Radio, television, everywhere. That's what we try to do. And now, in what room are you in? Is this your study? Your... It is, yes. Exciting. Um, and I'm in the library at home. Over the way is the room where we record Celebrity Gogglebox. And below is the what I call the basement bunker where we discuss on television Harry and Meghan and other controversial issues, because the bullets are flying this way and that. Since you've brought up Gogglebox, there are things I want to know. Okay, so first of all, do the production team put eclairs and meringues and Danish pastries on dishes in front of you before you and whichever glamorous woman you invite? Never me, I've noticed, but others. Um, do they supply you with sweetmeats? Let me tell you the truth about this. The reason you have not been asked, Esther, is that you were already a dame. What happened was this. It's, people see this as the, the gateway to becoming a dame of, of the Order of the British Empire. I did it first with Sheila Hancock, plain Ms. Sheila Hancock. She does goggle box with me. They make her a dame. I then do it with Maureen Lipman, plain Ms. Maureen Lipman. She does goggle box with me. They make her a dame. I said... What about Esther Ranson? They said she's already a dame. Uh, so that's the reason. 
<laughs> I think actually the truth reason they became dames was because one of the things we watched was something called Naked Attraction. Oh, of course it oh. is. We have spoken. Adrian and I addicted to it. it it's a shocker. <laughs> it is. What have, have you heard? Have you both been invited to take part in Celebrity Naked Attraction? We're looking forward to it. Are you looking forward to it, Adrian? Uh, I, I, I'm, I very rarely have I lost the words, but on this occasion... <laughs> to answer your questions, this is how it's done. They come to the house at the beginning uh, and they set up the cameras in the room. They then go away for two months. The cameras are permanently in the room and you genuinely forget they are there. They're small, discreet cameras. And then on set times, you go in and you press the button and they don't give you a choice as to the programmes. You watch the programmes they select for you, but you are alone in the building and that lulls you into that false state of relaxation. You put on the microphone, and of course you forget you go out to the loo. And what they do is they're not here. It's all done remotely. They send round Deliveroo and Deliveroo arrive with different treats. Exactly. Um, yeah. Fish and chips, or indeed the chocolate eclairs you referred to, the crisps and all of that. And these little sweetmeats arrive and they like you to be seen. You know, the, the doorbell rings, you go out and you can hear the little chit chat, you come back and then you have the snack together. It, it's great fun. It looks fun. But now you, you, you mentioned that you've been responsible for the honours for Sheila Hancock and Maureen Lippmann. But you have said that you don't approve of honours, that you wouldn't accept one yourself, that you would turn away the knighthood. Yeah. Why? I made that great mistake, trying to be funny. Uh, of course, the people responsible, to be honest, for the DBEs, for Maureen and Sheila, are Maureen and Sheila, because of long and brilliant careers as the mistresses of their craft, and also a huge service to different kinds of charity. I wondered who you would say they were mistresses of there. Yeah, exactly, Just... <laughs> of their craft. As opposed to being, I mean, Sheila might like to be the master of her craft, but I think Maureen would be happy to be the mistress of hers. It's so, this woke world is so difficult, isn't oh, it? Oh, I know. But anyway, get to the point, Sir the Giles. Point, the point is, I took part in Room 101 about 25 years ago, and they said, choose something really unlikely to put in the box to have put, to eliminate it. I thought, what about the honour system? That, that would be a fun thing. So I did it as a joke. And, since, and then somebody put it onto Wikipedia. And since then, I've been somebody who is against the honour system. Far from it. I, when I was an MP, I worked at the department where we gave honours to people in the arts world. And I was quite keen. And indeed, uh, I attended once um, as a, a journalist, as an observer, uh, an honours ceremony to see how it worked. And um, the Queen remarked at this event, isn't it nice to occasionally give somebody a pat on the back. That's what this is. And that's exactly what it is. And I think it's a lovely idea to give people a pat on the back. Are you not in the Guinness Book of Records for the longest ever kiss on screen? I am. You'll never guess who with either, Esther. Well, can I do 20 questions? You certainly, see if you can guess it. It wasn't you or Maureen or Sheila Hancock. I'll give you a clue. It was in the 1980s. 1980s, okay. The record had been set in the 1940s by Jane Wyman, the first wife of Ronald Reagan, and a man called Regis Toomey. And they appeared in a film called We're in the Army Now. And they sustained a screen kiss for about two minutes. So I wanted to beat this osculatory marathon. I will say Dawn French. No, not Dawn French, an entertainer. 
And at that stage, a hugely famous, still a famous entertainer, but a hugely famous entertainer because she, not alone, but she'd won a major international prize. Giles reveal all. Cheryl Baker from Buck's Fizz. Oh, well, yes. Adorable, adorable. And a great singer and a delightful person. And you can see this on YouTube. Do you know, Giles, I love watching Countdown. It's my little guilty afternoon treat when I'm at home. I think I'm right in saying that you've appeared on it over 300 times. Did they ask you to be the host? Because I know that they are about to launch a new series. No is the short answer to that. I've been involved in Countdown, particularly in the early days when Richard Whiteley was the host. So I'm actually the person who's been in Dictionary Corner more than anybody else. You know my favourite story about Countdown? Visiting Richard Whiteley, who was, for me, the perfect host in his dressing room. They'd redone all the dressing. They used to be made at Yorkshire Television up in Leeds, and they'd done his dressing room beautifully, repainted it, refurbished it, and he was showing me around, showing off his wonderful blazers in the cupboard and his striped ties. But I noticed above his dressing table a hole in the wall, leading actually to the next dressing room, which was Carol Waterman's dressing room. There was a hole the size, I suppose, of an electric socket, but it was large enough that you could actually peer through from Richard Whiteley's dressing room into Carol Vorderman's dressing room. And I said, Richard, have you seen there's that hole in the wall there? He said, oh yes. He said, the moment I got it, I saw that hole. He said, I was about to telephone maintenance to report it. And then I thought, oh, well, what the hell? Let her look. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very interested to know what your take is on Meghan and Harry. My, my hope is that it all ends happily. Um, but having interviewed the Duke of Edinburgh and written about him a great deal, I know that one of his rules and a piece of advice that he gave to his own children, and I imagine would have given to his grandchildren, is don't talk about yourself. That's the general rule in life. Uh, he was interested, um, Duke of Edinburgh, surprisingly, in so many different things than, than you'd expect from the caricature view people have of him. But he was interested, for example, in the work of Jung, interested in well-being and mental health, Duke of Edinburgh. And he read a lot of Jung. And Carl Jung, this is the, the founder, really, of analytical uh, psychology. And Jung looked at the uh, history of his patients towards the end of his career and came to the conclusion that the happiest of his patients were people who were outward-looking, people who didn't look down and in, but up and out. And the Duke of Edinburgh's philosophy is look up and out, take an interest in the world around you, be interested in art, in nature, in science, in the world around you. Don't think too much about yourself. Don't brood about yourself. Indeed, Duke of Edinburgh said, don't talk about yourself, nobody's interested. And though he pioneered interviews, he was the first member of the royal family to be interviewed on television, for example, as he said, he was always talking about what he was doing, not about who he was. So I think he would see risks in talking about yourself, um, both for yourself, and also because it then begs the next question. Once you begin talking about yourself, where does it end? And I know because he told me um, that he regretted in recent years that the way the royal family had become, they were portrayed as a bit of a soap opera. And that saddened him. Now, Giles, we ask all our guests if there is a particular cause that they're interested in and they think the public should become more aware of and they'd like to talk about. And uh, you've been involved with so many different charities. Which one have you picked? 
I picked one called Waterloo Uncovered. And the Battle of Waterloo, one of the most remarkable battles in all history. And I happened to meet uh, a young soldier, former soldier called Mark Evans, uh, who started this charity called Waterloo Uncovered. And he had been a Coldstream Guards officer, but he had been in Afghanistan, came back from Afghanistan, suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. He's an archeologist by training. And he had the idea with a colleague of his of starting a charity where they go to the field of the Battle of Waterloo and they take other former soldiers, men and women, and they do archeology. span Absolutely, Mark, are you with us? I am, hello, hello Esther, hello Giles, thank you for having me. Great pleasure. When you came back from Afghanistan, um, were you in quite a bad state yourself? Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair to say, and much easier to recognise now in in hindsight. Um, I think, like with many people who, who have sort of suffered or been diagnosed in the same way that I have, it, it actually took about two years um, for it to really properly both manifest and for for me to be diagnosed. Um, the two years running up to that were and were were pretty pretty painful. Is probably the best way to best way to describe it. Um, sort of constantly stuck. Um, constantly stuck in in Afghanistan and the things things that I'd seen and been involved with. What flashbacks? Yeah, it was a combination. Of those there were certainly certainly flashbacks at times. Um, yeah, the slightest thing, uh, strange smells, sounds, loud bangs could sort of throw throw my thoughts and my um, my conscious back to back to things I'd seen or or, or done there. Um, Hypervigilance is is something a lot of people um, sort of report or suffer from you're, you're constantly on edge so how can archaeology help there are a number of different ways that it can it can help um it's it's outdoors in general um which is great you know a lot of people who've joined the forces are i suppose by nature outdoorsy sort of people who like who like doing things they like to feel that they have a or they like to know that they have a purpose and archaeology certainly mm-hmm. certainly provides that, that that sense of discovery um, you can't really beat that. Um, and in the case of Waterloo, you're, the, these, the veterans are involved in a involved in an archaeological project that is is about war. So their experiences are really valid. Um, so we we look to take a or support a range of said serving serving and veterans. Uh, the youngest we've taken on the project is eighteen. The oldest, seventy two. These are all people that have served their country. Um, and in some way need our support. Can I ask how people get in touch with you? Yeah, certainly. We have a, a website, www.waterlooncovered.com, um, and we're on we're on Twitter and Facebook and Insta- Instagram as well. But the best place is, is through the website or the email address, uh, info at waterlooncovered.com. But that's, uh, there'll be somebody there to answer any people's queries, questions. Um, if they're interested in archaeology, if they're interested in the Battle of Waterloo, if they're interested in helping support veterans, um, then or any of those, they should get in touch and we'll be only too happy to, happy to, to listen to them, help them out or answer, answer their questions. Thanks so much, Mark. That's it. Gives, given us so much to think about, I must say. And thanks, Giles, for... Um drawing our attention to it you know i've never heard of this charity i think it's fascinating 
Now, Giles, um, we always ask our guests, and we're always interested in what they have to say, as to what they envisage the afterlife to be like, and what will you be taking with you? Well, I was taught very young that everyone goes to heaven. It's just the bad people don't enjoy it. So uh, I'm expecting to go to heaven. I'm looking forward to it hugely. Uh, I've always been intrigued by Joan of Arc, and I'm hoping to meet her and play Scrabble with her. So that's my plan. So I'm, I'm going to heaven, um, uh, taking my Scrabble board with me. I'm the president of the National Association of British Scrabble Players and founder of the National Scrabble Championship. I was going to say I was going to take my collection of poetry with me, and perhaps that's what I should take, because in heaven we'll have hours and hours and hours. What will we do? We've got to keep busy, remember. So I shall be learning poetry in heaven. And when I'm up there, I shall recite a poem. And I'm going to recite a poem to finish with you now. It's by Hilaire Belloc. From quiet homes and first beginning out to the undiscovered ends, there's nothing worth the wear of winning but laughter and the love of friends. And so thank you for the laughs we've had. Thank you for the friendship we've had, Esther, for I think now nearly 50 years. I think so, Giles. Now, I need you to do me a favour. Yeah. Can you assume that the Almighty has got the book? Yeah. And can you please take the Scrabble board? I have my own reasons for asking that. Good. Okay. Uh, we'll make it a bilingual one so you can have French English. Yeah, that's good. Uh, that's fine. Okay. You can have, you can have the poetry book, um, for whatever good cause you've got, and I'll sign it personally. And um, I'll take the Scrabble board to heaven. Scrabble. I think they call it Scrabble. Scrabble. Mon Dieu. Picture the scene. Charles and Joan of Arc playing Scrabble. She wins every time. Well, just just be like Gogglebox, won't it? I mean, you with one of these fantastic women next to you. She doesn't need to be a dame. She's already a saint. But can you imagine watching Naked Attraction with Joan of Arc? <laughs> yes. On that note, I'll leave you. Bye, Charles. Bye now. Bye-bye. That man is such an entertainer. And charming. He's charming. And... He follows Prince Philip's advice because he really very seldom talks about himself. This is the interesting thing. You know, he's, he's talking about the other people. He's talking about uh, things he's done, places he's been. He's delightful. And you owe me how, um, the price of a cup of tea. So now that I've won our bet. <clears throat> you have not won the bet. That, <laughs> I've never seen. Any, that was the most bit of arm twisting I have ever seen. Well cheating a little so have we got a final email we have uh, this is a very interesting one um, i'm not sure where she's from but her name is d traditionally at many fundraising events including children in need red nose day etc etc there's a trend for people taking part to sit <laughs> to sit in a bath of baked beans to raise money i've always been terribly bothered by the waste of food do you know i think she's got a point I've, I've always thought that this, whenever I watched it, thinking, what a waste. I suppose the argument is it's a minuscule cost in terms of the, what's in the bath, say, if it's full of beans, compared to the hundreds, if not thousands of pounds raised by that little moment in the charity event. Do you see what I mean? Where are you going to find beans afterwards? I mean, where are they going to go? A and B, don't beans make you fart? 
Well, you've obviously, have you ever seen the film uh, Blazing Saddles? Of course I have. So imagine them in a bath. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so, but but there's other kinds of baths people do. I mean, some people bath in shampoo. Oh. Custard. My, my desert island mustard. Custard, it's be- not mustard. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can try mustard if you want. No, I'm not, I'm not trying mustard. I'm not trying custard either. On Desert Island Discs, I asked for a bath of champagne. I asked for a, a big bath with three taps, hot, cold and champagne. I mean, Cleopatra was supposed to take baths in ass's milk. First of all, how do you milk an ass? Second of all, how wasteful is that? <laughs> so that is the end of our podcast. If you'd like to join us again, please do su- subscribe to That's Afterlife podcast. And on any of our uh, favourite streaming or your favourite streaming platforms. Um, or you can find us on our website, which is at thatsafterlife.com. And remember, we'll be reading your emails each episode. So make sure you send your views to hello at thatsafterlife.com. That's hello at thatsafterlife.com. You know, there's a common thread through so many of our podcasts, and particularly today. And that thread is? Nakedness. Yes. I suggest our next podcast, you and I, in our separate places. I knew you were going to say this. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And listener, listener, we want you to be naked too. Until then, it's goodbye from me. Oh, goodbye, old bean. Goodbye, old bean. That's Afterlife is a Captive Minds production and is series produced by Ross Haley. The creator and executive producer is Liz Mills. (laughs) 